You know, it really is good to see so many of you out today. I've, uh, I've seen a few Sundays where folks had to change the clock, and uh, folks were always really late. Uh, sometimes folks showed up for church about the time I was ready to say the benediction. And uh, it's, it's really, it really was a tough thing to get accustomed to doing years ago, and I thought I had it mastered. I thought I had it mastered, but as you notice, uh, if you were in Sunday school this morning, which was a great Sunday school, by the way, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you noticed I was about a half hour late. And uh, there was a reason for that. It had to do with changing the clock. Now, last night when I went to bed, I had it on my mind, and I grabbed my watch and I, I adjusted it. I adjusted my watch, and uh, I got up this morning, and. I don't know, Darla said something about having a good sleep, and I thought, yeah, I did, you know. And, I, and then uh, we have breakfast, we're sitting down there talking and yakking away, and finally Dick says, you know, we got to get going. I said, well, why is that? we got lots of time. And he says, no, we're already late. And I said, no. And I looked at the clock on their oven and on their microwave, and I said, are your clocks right? They didn't match. And I thought, I don't, I don't understand what happened, but I hurried up and got ready and got down here anyway. Well, while I was driving over here, I, you know, I had that on my mind. I was thinking about it. I said, I know I adjusted my watch. What in the world happened here? Finally, it dawned on me. I adjusted it, and I moved my hand ahead, which I was supposed to, by one minute. <laughs> So, so Jeremy, I apologize for being late today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All things work together for those that love God. Hmm. Well, I, I, I really, uh, seriously, I had, a, I had a rather difficult week, and I'm not going to go into it other than to say that I had to continue doing some of the tutoring that I told you about the last time, and I'm not going to tell you why. And then in addition to that, uh, a week ago Friday, my computer crashed, and I decided that rather than try to get it fixed, because it was uh, really bad, that I would just get a new computer. And I did, but of course when you get a new computer, it takes time to get everything all set up. Uh, I was glad to get a new one, because the one I had was probably at least 10 years old, and, and Computers that old just don't work well with all the updates, you know, that Microsoft does. So I decided, no, I might as well get this new one and, and get updated. So I did. And that all took time. But anyway, I thought I had it all mastered here. And uh, I got here, I got here, and then I did that silly thing with the clock. Uh, so I realized that, no, I still don't have it all together. But uh, I, I do thank God for the privilege of being here. If you have your outline this morning, you see where I'm going. Um, my introduction says there's so many blessings associated with being part of a loving family. Security, comfort, affirmation, encouragement, love, open communication, heritage, inheritances. And of course there's also good discipline to be found in a good family. And in a family is where we either learn or are supposed to learn 
uh, to do what is best for all parties concerned. And really, it's not any different when it comes to the family of God. Uh, the family of God is a wonderful family, and it is a place where you can come together and, and be part of a family that provides you with some security, comfort, affirmation, encouragement, love, open communication, heritage, inheritance, and these are all good things. And then, of course, there's the discipline. And last time I was here, I spoke on the, uh, Romans 8, 11, 12, 13 primarily and pointed out that we have some obligations. And I'm not going to just rehash that today, but I do want to uh, review quickly uh, what some of the believer's spiritual obligations are, what some of that discipline is that we are supposed to uh, have in order to be part of a family that can be all the things that I have described. So uh, we have some spiritual obligations, and this was part of the outline last week as to far as what those th obligations are, and I'm just reviewing them quickly. We have the obligation, first of all, to not live according to the flesh. And that's what he said back there in, uh, in verse 12. He says, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Obviously, we have obligations to live according to the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, but not according to the flesh. When you compare Romans 7.14 and Romans 6.22, you realize why we are not under obligation to live according to the flesh. When you were living according to the flesh, you were in a condition which Paul said was being sold under sin. Sold under sin. In other words, sin was your master. You were a slave to sin and to the sin nature. And sometimes you couldn't even help yourself. You just did what came naturally. And, and uh, you know, if you wanted excuses, you could say, well, that's the way I was born. I can't, I, you know, I can't help it. And there's so much truth to that that you need to realize that when you're walking around in your old nature, you really do have a very strong uh, uh, matter, master, controlling your life. And so when we become Christians, we are set free from that master. We are bought out of the slave market of sin and brought into a new relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And so we are no longer under obligation to serve that old slave master. And we need to remember that. We have a tendency, though, to try to keep one foot back on the plantation, don't we? For, for, forgive me for the that statement, but we have a tendency to do that. But we are not obligated to serve that old hard master. But there is a sense in which we have become servants of righteousness, of Christ. There is a sense in which we have become slaves to Christ when we have been bought out of the slave market of sin and brought into the slave market of heaven. <laughs> Not a slave market, but it's a, there is a responsibility, there is an obligation, there is a sense in which we owe something to our new master because of what he has done in setting us free 
and giving us lots of promises, one of which is that we can spend all eternity with him in heaven in a new resurrected body. And so, as Jesus said, my yoke, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come, follow me. And so that's the difference. Instead of having a hard taskmaster, we still have a master that disciplines us, but he's gentle, he's loving, he's kind, he's, he cares about us, he cares about our welfare. He doesn't just use us. He saves us in every sense of the term. And so, as I mentioned last time, we owe nothing to the flesh. We must disown all its unrighteous claims, and we must be deaf to its imperious demands. We've been set free. We are not under any obligation to serve the flesh, but we still have some obligations, and Paul went on to tell us a couple of them. And one of the obligations where it was back in verse 13, where he said that we are obligated to put to death the deeds of the body. Because, folks, even though we have been set free and we're under a new master, we still have a lot of the old habits. We still have a lot of the old ways of thinking. We still have a lot of things that need to be transformed. We still need to have a renewing of our mind. We need to develop new mindsets so that we follow our new master in an appropriate manner. And so Paul argues something, it seems to be a little bit scary, but it's so true, when he said in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I want you to think about that. You know that that's true. Without a question, it's true if we're talking about the matter of eternal life or eternal death. If you and I spend our life walking according to the flesh, doing what just comes naturally without having any spiritual life whatsoever, we are going to die and we're going to die forever. That's what the Bible teaches. You say, but I became a Christian. What are we talking about if I'm a Christian? I'll tell you what I'm talking about, what Paul's talking about. If you have become a Christian and you're under a new master and you're beginning to walk according to the Spirit, but you decide that you still want to walk according to the flesh, you know what's going to happen? Your spiritual life, your vitality, your enthusiasm for God, your desire for the Word of God, your love for prayer, all of that is going to diminish and diminish and diminish and diminish. It might as well not exist. Folks, that's what happens. Why is it that sometimes young people come to Christ and they're so full of excitement and exuberance and then they seem to just fall away? What, what is it? What causes that? Folks, there's a very simple answer to it. 
we love the world, the flesh, and the devil too much to give it up. But we need to give it up. If we are going to thrive, we need to give it up. We need to do what Paul says, mortify, put to death the deeds of the body. That's why I, in your outline, I used the term kill or be killed. Uh, I know I could be, that's pretty political, politi politically incorrect. I understand that. Uh, but that's exactly what Paul said in one sense. If you walk according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, doing that will kill you. It'll kill your spiritual life. But if you put to death, if you be the killer, and you put to death the deeds of the body, then, Paul says, you will live, and you'll live freely. And you know what Jesus promised? He says, I promise you life and life more abundantly. Folks, do you have the abundant life? If you don't have an abundant Christian life, why is that? There's only one answer. It's because you still have one foot in the world. That's why. Give it up. Give it up. Follow Christ completely. I like Jeremy's Sunday school lesson, what little I heard of it. His illustration about Elijah was fantastic, you know. What did Elijah have to hang on to in order to follow the Lord? Nothing. <laughs> Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't compare myself with Elijah or Elisha. I don't compare myself at all. But I do have to tell you that I did have a big decision to make at one point in my life. I had a good job. Uh, but I had an interest in being a preacher. And my first church was part-time. I continued to work full-time at what I was doing. And I worked part-time as a pastor. But I came to the point where I realized I couldn't do both. I couldn't follow both of those paths. One was a career path. It was a good career path. But if I was going to be a preacher of the gospel, I had to say goodbye. And I did. What did it cost me? It cost me at least one-third of my annual salary, plus a lot of benefits. I worked for the state, by the way. <laughs> that should tell you a lot. That was, that was nothing compared to what Jeremy was talking about this morning. But it was one thing that happened to me. I have no regrets about that. I have no regrets. That doesn't mean that everything was easy. <clears throat> the third thing that we're obligated to is to be led by the Spirit of God. That's what he said in verse 14. We are to be led by the Spirit. Now, remember this. When we get saved, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then we depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us toward doing the right things with respect to God and our neighbors. Now, what about the law? Paul talked about the law in, uh, in, in the other portion of the scriptures that we read this morning. The Apostle Paul said that in Old Testament days, people were led by the law. 
And even to some extent, the law is still good. We still find that the Ten Commandments give us a lot of good ideas as to how we should live our lives concerning right and wrong. The Ten Commandments teach us that we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't covet, we shouldn't kill, uh, we, we should honor our father and our mother, uh, we shouldn't, uh, I forgot one of them there, what's the one I missed? Commit adultery, right. I have, I've never done that, that's why I forgot about it. And uh, so, we shouldn't do all those things. And those are good, aren't they? They help us, and if we follow them, that's good, but it doesn't save us. That's, but what it does do to us is say, you know, if you have committed any of these things, you have fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Fortunately, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what Paul said about the law in Galatians 3. He said, The scripture is confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one, Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That was in Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 and following, in case you want to look that up sometime. Now, that passage gives us some aspects of how the law is good but it also tells us why the law is not enough. That we need Christ and we need the Holy Spirit in our life if we're going to have an abundant life in Christ. Now, during the New Testament church age, the Spirit of God is our guide to a faithful and happy life. For all who are in Christ Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit of God that leads us in our journey through life. And that's why Paul said in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now it's a very important verse. In many respects, it tells us first of all that as Christians we want to be led by the Spirit of God. But it also tells us it is those who are led by the Spirit of God that give evidence of being the children of God, of being the sons of God. Now the word sons is used there, but I just want to take a minute to say, don't get, don't get hung up on the word sons in this verse. It does not, in, it does not exclude daughters. Uh, the word sons in this verse is a technical term, and it has nothing to do with gender. Uh, and besides that, Paul had even said that in, uh, in one of the verses I just read, that there are neither, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, uh, slave or free, male or female, but all who are in Christ belong to him. So this is not a gender thing when he says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I'll explain what sons mean 
here in a few minutes. So I want to move on then to uh, the second major point in the outline about the believer's position of, of sonship. Now there are some visible indications of sonship. How do you know that you fit the category of being a son of God? How do you know if you fit the category, remembering that this has nothing to do with gender? How do you know if you fit the category? Well, he talks about, first of all, in verse 14, that those who are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So test number one is the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit lead me? Does the Holy Spirit guide me? Does the Holy Spirit teach me? Does the Holy Spirit uh, convict me of sin in my life? Does the Holy Spirit lead me to cry out to God the Father, Father, help me in this situation? Does the Holy Spirit constantly interact with your spirit to assure you that you are a believer in Christ? Does the Holy Spirit have a ministry to you? And that's one of the tests of how do I know I am really saved? How do I know? And the answer to that is, does the Holy Spirit have a ministry in your life? Leading, enlightening, guiding, convicting, helping, comforting, encouraging. Does the Spirit have a ministry? And if the Spirit definitely has a ministry in your life, then that is something that gives you assurance. That gives you assurance. I am a son of God. Now, as to the word uh, son of God, let me just say that in the next few verses, as you go down a little bit further, you find that he changes son of God to children of God. And that's because uh, you have to, first of all, be a child of God. <laughs> you can't be a son until you're a child. That's why this has nothing to do with gender. Uh, you, you have to, be, you have, to ha have the new birth, first of all, uh, to be a child of God. You're not a child of God just because you came out of your mother's womb. You become a child of God through the new birth. And, that, and, and becoming a child of God is open to uh, all who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, where does this, what does it mean to be a son? You have to understand some of the practices of uh, both the Romans and the Jews. Sonship was something that usually came to you when you reached a certain legal aid and you were actually designated or given the title of son of the family. Most of the time, the sons had a special type of inheritance. They, they, they came to have a special rela legal relationship in the family. I know it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our hands around that, but in early times, a child was just that. He was a child. And he didn't become, almost didn't become a real person until he grew up. We still think that, don't we? <laughs> well, but 
most of the time when the, the kids were like 12 years old, they went through a ceremony and they became legal. They became legitimate sons or daughters in the family. They, they took on inheritance rights. They took on uh, respons adult responsibilities. It was a major turning point in people's lives when they, were, when, when they became sons. Now, the Jews, even today, have ceremonies called bar mitzvah and beth mitzvah. And it's a, it's a time when these kids actually come to the place in their life where they fully identify with their family. We belong to you. I don't know the whole ceremony, but every Jewish kid even today goes through a ceremony where he becomes completely identified with that family and takes on legal privileges and rights and so forth. So the word son, and by the way, that happened in Jewish society, it happened in Roman society back in those days. In Christianity, we still have something like that in a lot of the churches where they have confirmation. Now, even as a Baptist, even as a Baptist, I usually didn't baptize children until I felt they were old enough to really understand what was going on. Because I just felt a little baby in my arms, no matter how wonderful that is, that little baby doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian. I love that little baby, but not because he's a Christian. <laughs> I love him because he's my child, or your child even. Okay? But the time comes when I would baptize the young people because they're willing to be identified with Jesus Christ. They're willing to confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in their life. And I baptize them. And what does that do? It brings them into a legitimate relationship with the family. And so when Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, he is clearly saying that you give all indications of being uh, a, a, a true believer, a true member of the family of God. Speaking of the family of God, uh, did you know that when you're all shaking hands that Virginia's sitting over there playing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, and so forth. Beautiful little song. You ought to sing it more often. We used to sing it a lot uh, in the church when, when I was here before. Now, as you move on into verses 15 to 17, and I think I'm going to go over a little bit today. If you have to leave, folks, just get up and go, okay? If you have to leave, just get up and go. It's okay. But I, I, I can see that I'm going to go over because I've been long-winded uh, in some things. But in, uh, you say, that's nothing new. Now, the visible indications of sonship, all right, the visible indications. He, after referring to believers as sons of God in verse 14, he introduces the whole subject of sonship, sonship. Now, if you're using an NIV, but only if you're using an NIV, this is what verse 15 says. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, if you're using a different version, if you're using like the King James, New King James, ESV, NASV, uh, lots of other versions, they may translate the word as adoption. There is no difference in the meaning of the two terms here, adoption or sonship. They mean exactly the same thing. And that's because of the Greek word that they come from. The Greek word is a compound noun. It starts out with the Greek word for son, wheel. 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 Starts with H. U-I-O or something. Okay. The second part of the word is Theseus. Theseus. It's the Greek word that means, in the verb form, to place or to put. And so, sonship has to do with the placing of a son, the putting of of a son in a special relationship with the family. It's designating, naming, declaring that someone is a son. It's, and so sonship was a specific activity, a specific action where I name you as a son with all the legal ramifications related to sonship. And when they translate that, they, a lot of the Bibles use the word adoption because we're more familiar with the idea. Like if, if you, if you ha bring a child into your family by adoption, that child becomes your kid. That's all there is to it. You not only have all the responsibilities of a father and mother to that kid, but that kid learns to call you mom and dad. It's just like that. Adoption in our society has to do with taking that child which was not your son or daughter and making them your son or daughter. And what the Bible is talking about is you and I come to the place in our spiritual life. In our spiritual life, God declares us to be sons. He gives us sonship. He adopts us into his family. Now, I'm not trying to separate adoption from salvation. I, let's not go there this morning. That's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that you get saved and then 20 years later God might call you. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying you that, that it's a specific action that God takes to, to declare you and name you as his son. Now, um, I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 6, 8, 17 and 18. It just always thrills my soul. I read that verse, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now listen to this. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Thus saith the Lord. Whew. I get... I get chills up and down my spine every time I read it, even today. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. 
Thus saith the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, I got excited about that. <clears throat> now the second thing that's an visible, a visible indication of sonship is the absence of a slavish fear of God. That's why he said there in verse, uh, verse 15 that you have not, did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. As Christians, we do not approach God as a slave would approach the slave master. We approach God in a different way. We don't come to God as someone that we have to be afraid of and be in fear of. We do not think of God as an angry God who's out there just to, to hold the, the whip over us. You either do this or that or bam! That's not our God. God isn't out there to see how fast he can stop you with his mighty hand. Now he does discipline us. That's not the point. But God is not the angry God. You know, let me illustrate it this way. How many times have you invited somebody to church and they said, oh, I wouldn't dare go there. The roof would fall in. That ever, any of you ever have anyone tell you that? Now, why? Why? I mean, I know they, they kind of are kidding around or just giving an excuse sometimes. But I think it's deeper than that. I think that folks who are unsaved particularly have a legitimate fear of coming into the presence of God. And somehow they think they would be better off if they didn't get too close. There are folks that don't want to get too close to God. Why is that? Because they're afraid of Him. They're afraid of Him. It's a little bit like what happened back at the Mount, of, uh, Mount Sinai. You know, the people were not ready to have fellowship with that guy up on the mountain that was thundering and lightning and making lots of noise. And they said, Moses, you go. It's fine with us, you go. People have a genuine fear of God. And when you read the Ten Commandments, that can have a tendency to make you a little bit afraid of God. <laughs> but you and I as Christians do not come to God in that way. We come to God as one who we know to be like a father figure. It's a father figure, and hopefully you, hopefully you had a, a good father. I hope all of you had a father like I did. I had a wonderful father. He wasn't perfect, I can tell you that. In fact, you know, I've, I've heard stories that I don't like, I'm not going to repeat. But to me, my relationship with my dad was like that. And it wasn't until the day he died at the age of 90. And, but when the time came, I got, when, I, when I was about 18 years old, I made the decision to go to Bible school. And 
I mean, my dad didn't try to control my life, but he didn't expect that. Uh, he expected me to just become one that got a good job and, and uh, had a nice family and certainly got a pension someday and, and all those kind of things. And, and, and he, did, he was a little bit nervous about all that. And so he wanted to know, why do you want to go do that? You know, again, he didn't try to control me, but he, he generally couldn't understand why I would go do something like that. At the time, I didn't have an answer. I was not looking for a career path at that time. I simply so told him, Dad, I want to go and learn more about God. And those are my exact words. I want to go and learn more about God. My dad didn't stop me. He didn't try to stop me. He didn't understand it, though. Whether he was disappointed or not, I don't know. He didn't say. But I wanted to go to God, learn more about God. Now, of course, it didn't hurt that my girlfriend was heading to the same place. <laughs> God leads in mysterious ways. Now, the whole point here is that the Spirit within our hearts changes our obedience to God from slavery to a loving Father. Now, I love what it says at the end of verse 15. He says, you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's another way that you can determine your relationship to God. Is he your father? Can you cry out to God, Abba, Father? Abba is an Aramaic term, which means father. Father was a Greek term that meant father. So basically what Paul wrote was our hearts cry out to God, Father, Father. You can hear the terms of, in, of love and endearment in that. Father, Father, Abba, Father. Over in Papua New Guinea, when people pray, they always pray to Papa God. They pray to Papa God. My daughter prays to Papa God. It's a term of endearment. Now, one of the reasons that I asked you this morning to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every morning before my feet hit the floor. And, uh, and, I, and there's a reason for that. After all, Jesus instructed his disciples uh, to, to, to pray, or how to pray, by using that prayer. But I also developed my confidence to pray by reciting that prayer. I also developed confidence to pray by listening to other people pray. And, uh, but, but I wanted you, I, w I would love that all of us become so comfortable with praying that we, we're not afraid to cry out to God. I honestly don't understand why Baptists have such an aversion uh, to reciting the Lord's Prayer on Sunday morning. I, I don't know why that is, but it's been in that, that way in every church I ever went to. They just don't want to say the Lord's Prayer. So, there's another aspect of sonship, though, that I need to talk about. I know I'm, 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 getting, I'm going too far here, but I, I just have a couple things more. The sonship 
And that's called the witness of the Spirit. Another way that you can know for sure that you're a child of God is that you have the witness of the Spirit. Notice what he says there in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Another evidence, another evidence is one that's inside of us. The world can't see it. The world doesn't understand it, but it's there. That the, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Two witnesses. And as you know from the, in the Bible, two witnesses, everything is established by two or three witnesses. And so we have our own testimony. We have our own witness, our own confidence and assurance that we are children of God. My own spirit knows. My own spirit knows that the truth has set me free. My own spirit knows that I have peace with God because I've been justified by faith. My own spirit knows that I have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. My own spirit knows that I have been born again from above. My own spirit knows that I have been given the right to be called the children of God. My own spirit knows that. I can't communicate that to other people. Only I know that. I can say it, but you have to know it too. You have to have the confidence yourself that these things are true because your spirit is testifying to that. Every, every heartbeat testifies to the fact I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Why? I am a child of God. I've been born again. I have peace with God. I am a child of God. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit adds to that witness. The Holy Spirit adds to that witness. And His Spirit testifies to the very same thing. I'll tell you how. But first of all, I've got to tell you something. I've got to, I, 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 I've just got to say, folks, I know that I'm a Christian because my spirit and the Holy Spirit gives testimony to that fact. That's how I know. I know that I've been changed. We used to sing a song in our church in Candor. Well, I've been to the river, I've been baptized, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been changed from the creature that once I was, and redeemed is now my name. I've been changed, I've been newborn, all my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. When at last in his presence I stand above, he will wipe all the tears from my eyes. And I'll thank him for giving a wretch like me lasting hope beyond the skies. I've been changed, 
I've been newborn. All my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh, yes, I've been changed. Wow. Folks, I really believe that. I really do. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to my spirit through scriptures. And every time I read the Bible, I find assurances of my relationship with God. I like the promises. He says that because you are children of God, you're an heir of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll come back to that some other time. Both Jew and Gentile, all of us, because we're God's children, we are heirs and we will share with Jesus Christ in his heavenly kingdom. Now he has that final word that says something about suffering for Christ. Well, it doesn't mean that you need to make yourself a martyr. It doesn't mean you need to go out and whip yourself or, or uh, punish yourself uh, in order to show that you're suffering with Christ. That's not what it's all about. But there will be times in your life when you'll have to identify with Jesus. And it'll be hard. It'll hurt your pride. It'll cause stress in your family. It'll cause other members of the family to disassociate with you. And you'll have the decision to make. Do I follow Christ? Or I just do what might be pleasing to my unsaved friends and family. In some ways, you'll have to suffer if you're going to follow Christ. There are times when you need to take a stand for Christ no matter what other people think. And I hope that you can do that. I hope that when the chips are down, and I hope it never comes to this, but I hope when the chips are down and ISIS comes into your town and lines you all up in a row down on the shore of Lake Cayuga, in red jumpsuit suits, tells you to kneel down and to go bang, 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 bang. I hope you'll be ready. Sometimes martyrdom comes. You don't have to bring it on yourself. You don't have to cause it. You don't have to make yourself a martyr. But sometimes you have a choice that's just as stark as that day, day, day and night. It's white and, white and black. I either follow Christ or I follow the world. But I don't owe anything to the world. I don't owe anything to the devil. All I owe is to my Lord and Savior who has given me new life and given me the hope of eternity with him. That's who I have an obligation to. And that's who I'll serve. I'll take what comes, but Christ comes first. And that's my prayer for this congregation. Father, I'm going to close right now. I'm just going to ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts in a special way this morning and cause each one of us to turn to Christ completely and wholly, desire to follow him every step of the way, to accept his discipline, but also to enjoy his company as our Father. Dear God, bless this people. I pray that you will 
continue to be work in their hearts and lives that they might once again become the lighthouse in this community that they once had here. Give them wisdom. Let them be led of the Holy Spirit. Let them depend on the leading and the guidance and the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit, in all the procedures that they take to help grow this ministry. And we'll thank you for what you'll accomplish through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>